Welcome to the OIS Podcast, where you get candid conversations with the leaders and drivers of ophthalmic innovation. And now, here's our host, Tom Salemi. Hey everyone, this is Tom Salemi. Today we're going to be talking IPOs with Reza Zadno, the president and CEO of an OIS fave of mine, Avidro. Avidro went public on February 14th, raised $70 million with its shares pricing coincidentally at $14, February 14th, $14. As you might imagine, going public is as difficult as it looks. And we'll talk with Reza about the process of preparing to go public, as well as the actual day of the posting. What did Avidro do to celebrate? We'll also talk business. Avidro, of course, is a commercial enterprise now. It's reporting growing sales, and we'll get into that a bit later. It sells its corneal cross-linking system as a treatment for keratoconus, which is a non-inflammatory eye condition that weakens and misshapes the cornea. Keratoconus is one of those diseases you don't hear much about until you start digging a bit, but its profile might be on the rise a bit. Steph Curry of the Golden State Warriors has it, and he recently credited his use of contact lenses to correct his vision as the reason he was able to reverse his shooting slump. Curry did not do cross-linking, but Brandon Williams, a defensive tackle, what the Baltimore Ravens did, and he's talking about it on Avidro's patient website. So we'll cover a lot today with Reza. We'll talk about the IPO, the responsibilities of being the CEO of a publicly traded company, reimbursement successes that Avidro is enjoying, and the future for Avidro, which includes some potentially huge market opportunities outside of Keratoconus. Before we get into this conversation, however, I do want to remind you that OIS at ASCRS is happening next week in San Diego. Go to ois.net to register if you haven't already done so. And before we begin this conversation, I wanted to give you a quick production note. This is the first podcast I've actually recorded in person. I went down to Avidro's offices just outside of Boston, so the audio is better. I might talk a bit more than used to, (laughs) but I'll learn to pipe down in the future. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Reza Sadno of Avidro. Talk first about the IPO. Uh, when you joined Avidro, I mean, obviously your, your principal goal is to have a positive outcome of whatever that is. But did you join with the intention of, with the hope that you could take a company public? Is it is it sort of part of a, a resume building um, 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 desire as a CEO to, to take a company public and to lead a company in the public markets, or are you kind of agnostic about that? I'm agnostic about it because uh, startups, uh, when they start initially, they raise capital with angel investors and uh, venture capitalists, and the purpose of that is to do proof of concept, uh, bench studies, animal studies, and get to an FTA trial. And raise capital, typically startups go through a few rounds of financing, there comes a point in the life of a startup that you need uh, to have access to a large amount of capital. And that's either to expand your commercial organization or do other clinical studies or introduce new technologies. Fortunately, in the case of Avidro, was all those three. And uh, IPO is one route to access capital. Mm-hmm. It's for that purpose. It is a fundraising uh, activity. That's all you saw. That's just a, a way to get the capital. That's correct. You need to get the job done. That's correct. Okay. So let's walk into the, through that process a bit. Was there an option? Was there a point where you were considering something then other than an IPO? Or was an IPO really the, the only avenue for you? So I, I look at uh, the need for the company. The company, uh, we received FTA approval in 2016, launched the product, started the reimbursement activity. And to 
grow the business on the commercial sides, we needed to increase the commercial organization, both on the sales side and the reimbursement team. And also, uh, we had the Epion project that we started. Uh, I'm very happy to say the only company running an Epion study for uh, treatment of progressive keratoconus and also Pixel project. It was for those purposes that we needed to raise capital. And either I had to go raise this, for example, it was about $70 million. You can either raise $70 million on the private side or $70 million on the IPO side. So obviously any company going public faces a lot of decisions, some hard, some easy. The uh, ticker symbol was an easy one, AVDR, makes perfect sense. The more difficult decisions would be choosing a bank. And Reza said it was a matter of, of talking to all the banks and, and looking for the right banking team to get the deal done, as well as the analysts who can cover the company IPO, post-IPO rather. Avidro selected uh, Bank of America Merrill Lynch and J.P. Morgan as the joint book running managers for the offering, and Cowan and Guggenheim and SVB Larink acted as co-managers. So built a, a great team of bankers to get the deal done. Reza said Avidro had all the elements in place. It had FDA approval, it had growing reimbursement, it had revenue coming in. It had a system, the Avidro system relies on both a drug and a device. Uh, the KXL system delivers ultraviolet light. It's used with a riboflavin called Fodrexa. Combining the two induces a biochemical reaction in the cornea called corneal cross-linking. So that's how it gets the job done. And it's, it's beginning to, to build a business. According to Avidro's uh, recent report, its quarterly report, it had fourth quarter revenue of $8.2 million, which is an increase of 82% year to year. And its full year 2018 revenue is $27.7 million. That's an increase of 37% year to year. So again, things were trending in, in the right direction. But the IPO process still is arduous, as Reza will explain. And some unforeseen circumstances put Avidro's IPO at risk. Let's listen. The first step is you select your bankers. Sure. And then uh, you create an IPO team, which includes the few individuals from the management team, the bankers, the counsel for the bankers, and the corporate counsel. And you go through preparing your S1. Mm -hmm. Your S1 is the drafting which takes, uh, that, that is the longest part of sure. the IPO. Uh, most companies, the entire IPO process from the day you decide, you decide with the board you want to do it, select bankers, you finish, could be in the eight-month uh, period. So it's a long period. Fortunately, we did that in about five months. Five, it, it was pretty intense. Wow. Um, then uh, the next step is, is writing the S1. That is the longest. There are These are very long hours for a few weeks. Uh, you sit down and prepare the drafting. Once the S1 is prepared, then you have another uh, meeting with your board that you want to file the S1 with SEC. You file this one with SEC, and then SEC reviews your uh, documents and come back with questions. You have to clear with SEC before you go to the next step, which is preparing your prospectus and presenting to investors. Um, unfortunately, in our case, that was around the uh, end of December. We had government shutdown. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so that you forget uh, that already. Yeah, but yeah, that's right. Yeah, the timing so is exactly. So as we are I interacting with the CC, there was government shutdown, and the government shutdown continued until late January. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had to come to a conclusion and finish it before February 15, because otherwise, if you go post-February 15, you need to have audited financials of a prior year, ah. and that takes another 
long time. So it was, we were on the pretty time. So you were watching the news pretty closely <laughs> to see closely. when they were going to get back so, to work. So fortunately, within just a few days of that deadline, the government uh, opened and we had the green light to go ahead to the next next step. So once the once you have that, then you uh, announce that there's a press release uh, showing your intent of uh, going public, and your bankers present their prospectus to potential investors, and then the roadshow begins. So Reza and CFO Tom Griffin met with investors across the country nonstop, 10 meetings a day, meetings in Boston and San Francisco and Chicago. Actually, five found investors who had keratoconus, so they already knew about the story, or at least knew about the condition. So we're going to talk with Reza about the substance of those meetings and ask really what did they learn about Avidro from talking with all these investors across the country. We'll also talk about the day, the day that Avidro went public. What was the special honor of that day for Avidro? We'll learn more about this after the break. Hey everyone, Tom here. If you want to save 30% off your OIS cost, you still have some time. Go to OIS.net. You can register for next week's OIS at ASCRS. You can also sign up for OIS at ASRS. And of course, the big one, OIS at AAO, which is happening on October 10th in San Francisco. And OIS at ASRS is happening on July 25th in Chicago. Sign up for all three through our Triple Play Bundle Package, and you'll save 30% off your OIS registration costs. You're going anyway, so why not save some money? Go to OIS.net to register right away. So IPO day is approaching. Avidro has its banks in line. It's done its roadshow. Seems like nothing can stand in its way. But wait, there is the unforeseen circumstance. Let's hear about how Avidro sweated a little bit, but ultimately celebrated one of the most pivotal days in its life. And uh, then the day of IPO, which is, as you mentioned, is a very exciting day in the life of a startup. We, uh, management team was there. But more importantly, we also brought employees who had been with the company the longest and wanted them to be there. But uh, we were honored that uh, one of the patients who was from the New York area came and uh, rang the closing bell of the NASDAQ. So Mm -hmm. we also list either on NASDAQ or uh, New York Stock Exchange. So we listed on NASDAQ and the patient came and uh, patient was excited and we were excited. So, so that was the process. Very cool. What did you learn about this company through the roadshow when you're talking to investors? I, m- I imagine everyone has different questions or maybe they're all the same questions, but what did you learn about your own company, having all those other people look at your company and really examine yes. it closely? Uh, so the, the ophthalmology is definitely an area that investors are very interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, as you know, our first application is keratoconus. That's, uh, we have the approval and we are the only company in the U.S. So we explained that not everybody is familiar with keratoconus. Uh, I mean, people in ophthalmology are familiar with glaucoma or cataract. So keratoconus was a new uh, field. Some of them had, uh, they had read about it new. Someone was new. but at the same time, uh, when we present Pixel, they get very excited about it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a there was a, it, it re- the story resonated well with with the investors, and although reimbursement is part of our story, uh, with the few companies who recently went public uh, that had gone through similar path as we did to receive reimbursement. Uh, 
so, so the, the time we had to spend and explain was uh, telling the reimbursement how the product is reimbursed, the progress we have made in reimbursement, and also explaining keratoconus. Uh, refractive is an easy story to mm -hmm. tell because people relate to it. It is not a disease. It affects everyone. So the the time we spent was explaining the keratoconus disease. Uh, refractive was easier. And uh, let me just focus on the on the uh, the IPO day itself. What sort of message do you communicate internally to folks? You, you celebrate that day. You celebrate celebrate that an achievement of going public. But the next day. It's just another day at work. How, how do you sort of transition from private company to public company and kind of keep things so moving forward? So way before uh, going public, even within uh, nine months uh, going public, uh, internally uh, people always ask you, uh, even when I joined the company, are we going to get acquired? Are we going to go public? So that's a question people always ask. Fortunately, we had this message across the organization that uh, whether we do private funding, whether we do debt financing or IPO, it's access to capital to deliver. So the organization knew the purpose of the IPO. Mm -hmm. They knew this was for fundraising to deliver on our projects. Uh, for uh, every, everybody, including my, myself, was happy that round of financing went through, but we knew that was the day after we had to come back to work. And so the whole organization was aligned on that matter. So how does the life of a CEO change after going public? Reza says the financial reporting isn't all that different. He's had to present financial pictures to board members before. Now he's just presenting to analysts. He needs to be careful about making those forward-looking statements that CEOs of publicly traded companies always warn us about. But I ask, what about those analyst calls? Are they stressful? And how closely does he watch Avidro's stock price? Let's listen. They ask good questions because they want to understand your business. Mm -hmm. Uh, the part maybe comes across sometimes hesitation is as an operator, you're always careful not to give forward-looking statements. Mm -hmm. When you are a private company with your board member who yeah. are basically your investors, uh, you, you can talk uh, about the future more easily. But when you're talking for forward-looking statement, you have to be careful what you are saying. So, But as a general, with analyst is, uh, is a very... A good good interaction because they really want to understand your business. Mm -hmm. That's all they want to know. And there's nothing wrong with them. How is the current quarter going? So we have to be careful. I mean, current quarter, we cannot talk about it until the, we, we do a formal. So, so otherwise, their goal is to understand, uh, are you on track? Are you doing what you said you are doing? They're asking good questions. <laughs> and final question about the IPO. How often a day do you check the stock price? How often? Uh, <laughs> Is it on your phone? Do you have no, an app? No, 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 no. I don't do that. Do that. <laughs> you check it once a day? I check it once a day. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I check it once a day. I check it in the morning uh, within like 30 minutes. It's open. I want to see how it did open, and that's it. That's good practice. <laughs> so let's talk a bit about the, 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 the business since the IPO. You mentioned reimbursement in, in the first part of our conversation. You've had some success there. Uh, talk a bit about the, the, the recent reimbursements you've secured and where you're going next. Um, as you look at uh, the history of reimbursement started about two years ago, the progress has been uh, extremely fast. I'm mm -hmm. very happy about how fast market access has uh, improved uh, from very few or non-covered lives to 
95% covered lives, more than 65 national and regional payers are covering it. And that is thanks to uh, the uh, ophthalmology societies, to physicians, patient advocacy groups, and, uh, and our, our own effort of bringing awareness uh, for the carriers to recognize the medical necessity of covering this procedure. It's a disease that if you don't treat, will result in corneal transplant. And FDA approval and very strong clinical, we're part of that. Mm -hmm. It is, uh, and whenever insurance wants to cover, they are looking at all of that. Is that strong clinical data, cost effectiveness of a corneal transplant costs $20,000 average. Every 15 to 20 years, patient may need a second corneal transplant. When you compare that to the cost of cross-linking, it really makes sense to cover it. So I've been very happy with. Of course, it takes time. Sure, <laughs> it's a it's a lengthy process, and uh, so we had to get uh, the the code for the procedure, the CPT code and the J code for the drug. And once you have the code, at least from a uh, claim pro submitting, there's clarity of what code to use. The J code became effective in January. Um, I've been very happy with the progress. It, it is long, but this two-year has been probably the fastest I have seen in other uh, other products that start from zero to almost full coverage in two years. So private insurance clearly is king for Avidro because keratoconus is a young person's disease. Typically, strikes people in their early to mid-teens. Avidro, in fact, didn't have anyone over the age of sixty-five in its phase three clinical trials. So now, with all the reimbursement coverage that Avidro has secured, it's got 95% of its targeted population covered. So Avidro seems set going forward. But I wanted to know a bit more about how Avidro gets to the patient or gets to the physician treating the patient. What does a keratoconus patient look like and how do you sell to them? Let's listen. Initially, patient uh, thinks they have a, uh, they can't see well, so they go see an optometrist. And uh, if they do a topography, then they can identify that patient has keratoconus and it's not just the regular myopia. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't uh, diagnose correctly, you may think this patient just needs glasses or contact lenses and you're not treating the underlying disease. Um, if it's not diagnosed and the patient progresses, then the patient comes back after some time and the, the, the vision gets uh, progressively worse. Mm -hmm. Um, so that is the profile of younger people. So then how does that impact the way you market, the way you roll out? Um, do you, I wouldn't imagine that you're looking to do much of a consumer rollout or directly to the patients or to the parents, I suppose, to educate them about this. You really need to get the, the optometrist or the ophthalmologist who are going to do the diagnosis to understand what they're looking at and what you can provide. Yeah, so... Uh, we we sell our technology today to ophthalmologists. Mm -hmm. These, those are the people who treat the patient. Ophthalmologists themselves, when you talk to them, they say five to fifteen percent of the people who come get LASIK, they have keratoconus. Huh. So they already see those patients, or they have optometrists, mm -hmm. because many patients, when they first have these symptoms of keratoconus, they. Uh, Go see an optometrist because they think they need glasses. What are the symptoms? Need. What are the, what vision, the present? Vision, Just vision, vision, vision yeah, yep. aberrations. Mm -hmm. 
No, no pain, no discomfort, no, just no, just no, inability just, to see yeah, or see just, as well. Yeah, and they go get, if you do glasses, and they may be okay with mm -hmm. glasses. But you have to do topography, map the cornea, then you see this is keratoconus. So uh, what we do, so ophthalmologists are aware of it, and they, are, they routinely use uh, topography. They can diagnose this patient because for LASIK they have to do it. So ophthalmologists already see these patients. They have it at their practice. We have also participated in optometry conferences. We participate actively in seminars and symposium to bring awareness amongst optometrists that uh, there is a treatment uh, cross-linking and they can refer these. Uh, so there are, we work with their refer, with ophthalmology referral networks. And then we also do direct to consumer advertising, bring awareness uh, on uh, where to find uh, practices who offer. In fact, uh, we, we, we see that in the last two years how that uh, patient-seeking practices who, in fact, uh, are offering the treatment and also take insurance. Patients are looking for practices that take insurance. Mm -hmm. So th those three avenues, uh, ophthalmologists, optometrists, we participate not only in conferences but also organize seminars for optometrists and also direct to consumers. And the direct-to-consumer, how does that present? Are they billboards, mailings, commercials? Yes, so there is uh, uh, Living with Keratoconus. There are websites mm -hmm. uh, that, that uh, show these. Uh, no, we don't advertise in magazines or something. It's just online. The demographic of, the, of this patient, they, they are very uh, Internet savvy. Mm -hmm. they, they seek, uh, it's a typically younger, younger uh, individuals, and they seek these practices through lots of uh, websites. Living with Keratoconus is one of them, or they, they search our website. So the, the consumer would be interested in that after diagnosis, because if, if I'm, I'm a parent, I've got a 13-year-old son, 14-year-old, he's going to be 14 in, in July, he's, he, he needs glasses currently, but is there a way I would know going in that he should be checked for that? Is he automatically checked for it? So, um, so if... if uh, uh, Patients know that uh, one of the way, best ways of diagnosing keratoconus is uh, with uh, uh, topography. Mm -hmm. They will uh, ask uh, for topography. They, most optometrists have topography, but not all of them routinely use topography. So all you have to do is ask the if you're going to an optometrist to make sure they do map your cornea. Interesting. Right. So what is the, the status of your uh, rollout for, for that? How are things going? How, is, how are sales progressing? Um, as I mentioned, uh, I mean, I, I can only talk about now that you're talking compliance. <laughs> <laughs> I, won't, I won't ask a forward-looking question, I promise. Um, so in our last uh, uh, earnings call, we, we, we talked about last year the, the J-code uh, make the submission of claims much simpler. Because J-code historically as a drug is a pass-through. So on the reimbursement, you have two components. One is the component, which is CPT for the procedure, and one is the J-code for the drug. Mm -hmm. The drug, uh, the, it, it's becoming a pass-through, which means they are paying closer and closer to the full price of the, of the drug as of what I announced, what I mentioned in the last earning calls. And then the... The drug, uh, the, the procedure is paid uh, adequately to the practice. Uh, so, so 
the short-term plan and we mentioned was to increase utilization mm -hmm. because uh, although the J code was uh, granted in January, we still wanted to make sure uh, in incorporation of the J code in the claims was not going to create any confusion. That's why rather than going aggressively opening new accounts, we wanted to focus on existing accounts to make sure the the codes are properly used and the payments are adequate so that the practices uh, continue using the product, basically increase utilization. And that was uh, going well in the last uh, call when we presented. So what is the next step when you when you understand that the, the codes are being used correctly and you're confident with the current accounts you have? Which, what is your rollout plan to expand the business? Uh, in the U.S., the our main customers are uh, corneal specialists and refractive uh, surgeons. Mm -hmm. They are in about 1,100 centers in the U.S. 300 of them are mostly refractive, self-pay uh, practices. So if you take the ones who have experience with reimbursement, they are either corneal specialists or those uh, refractive centers who also have cataract doctors or retina doctors. They are familiar. It's not just the uh, physician is also the administrator because admi you, you need to have administrators who have experience with submitting claims. So initial target are those 800. Mm -hmm. Out of those 800, we have placed in more than 300 centers. So the once the reimbursement becomes routine, then we can expand into more than those 300. Although we are placing more systems this year, but the initial focus was increased utilization uh, as reimbursement becomes uh, more commonly used, then we expand to as many centers as we can. Mm -hmm. And do you, the capital from the IPO, you, that's sufficient to, to carry this plan forward, I imagine? Yes. Yeah. yes. Excellent. So what are the uh, challenges, I'm going to use the forward word, but going forward in terms of presbyopia and other uh, opportunities. Where, where is the growth yes, for Avidro so in the future? Yes. Where is that coming so, from? So this we also mentioned it in the last earning calls. You know, our current focus, uh, I mean, we, we, we keep focus on revenue and making sure the payment, because reimbursement had three components, coding, coverage, payment. We had the code. Coverage is almost there. We are close to 100%. Mm -hmm. And then the payments are becoming predictable for the, for the practices. Um, so that is the primary focus. But the growth areas is um, Epion, which is the procedure in which you do not need to remove epithelium and, don't, and perform the procedure. Uh, we started that enrollment last year, and the goal is to complete enrollment by mid-year uh, 2019. We are very excited about that, uh, that project. So part of the capital was making sure that study is going forward. Then Pixel Program, uh, as you know, our platform technology, uh, we are using it to treat the cornea or reshape the cornea. It uses the same mechanism of action. Uh, so we can reshape the cornea, and the first application is presbyopia, uh, which is the holy grail in ophthalmology. Everybody above the age of 45 has, I mean, I always say in, in a room, everybody is either presbyopic or is going to become presbyopic. It's a very large, so the target population in the U.S., we are looking in that group, is about 50 million people. Mm -hmm. It's a very large market. So we are uh, initiating the phase 2A study in this uh, first half of 2019.
And what is what will that phase two A study look like? Um, uh, I don't know if you have given the details of the study. <coughs> I tried to get you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's ultimately how would you be able to correct presbyopia what, what, if it works and if the trials go well? Yeah, so, so presbyopia, you can uh, reshape the, with our technology, you can uh, reshape the cornea so you can create some uh, add in, in the cornea mm -hmm. and then you can use that for near vision. So you, you can, uh, you know, with our technology, you can either uh, you can change the cornea in any shape you want. Mm -hmm. So if you want to induce uh, one diopter or one and a quarter, one and a half diopter, uh, add to the to your cornea. That's how you do it. Very cool. I'm being anxious. Yes. I, I hope you're very successful with that because these these lenses don't work particularly well. So. Yeah, especially <laughs> uh, you know patients who people uh, who who had perfect vision, emetropes. When they become presbyop, they are the most frustrated because they are never used to wearing glasses. and uh, Or they have many pairs of glasses never when they want to use them. Uh, you know, in the morning when you want to go run to for a run and then on the, you don't run with your glasses in your hands reading glasses. So you stop in front of a coffee place, you want to read the either the headlines of a newspaper or the price of your drink, you, you cannot read it. Mm -hmm. So those are the most frustrated. Or just your phone if you're looking for the next podcast or music you're trying to That's change. Correct. Yeah. That's correct. That's uh, correct. So final question. What do you, how do you see Avidro building out going forward? Do you see yourself becoming an acquirer of other companies, of other technologies, or do you have all the pieces that you need in place right now to, to grow the way you want to grow? So our initial focus is on the areas that I mentioned we have to deliver. Um, as we, as the company grows, we will look into other options. But current, our, our current focus is on uh, improve the reimbursement and commercialization, Epion, completion of Epion, and Pixel. I mean, these three alone is a $26 billion market. <laughs> Think that's enough? <laughs> So uh, the, the entire organization is really focused on delivering, uh, including myself, on, on these uh, items. Uh, but as, as the company grows, definitely we will look into those options. We, we, we are very, we, we look at other, other opportunities too. Excellent, great. Well, thanks for joining okay. us on the Thank podcast. You. Thank you. All right, well, that is a wrap. Thank you to Avidro for hosting me at their offices. It was great to talk to you, Reza Zadno. Thank you, OIS Podcast listeners, for joining us. If you enjoyed this conversation, please tell your friends about it. Share it with them on Twitter or LinkedIn. I am on both. Please connect to me. I'd love to uh, be part of that conversation. On Twitter, I am at MedTechTom. You can, of course, find me on LinkedIn. You can also reach out to me directly. I am uh, on the email. You can reach me at Tom at healthg.com. That's the word health, followed by the letters E-G-Y. For those who do not know, HealthG is the producer of this podcast and the OIS events, including the upcoming, next week upcoming, OIS at ASCRS. It's happening in San Diego on May 2nd. Please, if you haven't registered yet, go to OIS.net. You'll be able to see the agenda there, the list of speakers. And of course, you'll be able to sign up not only for next week's event, but for all three OISs this year. And you'll save yourself 30% off registration costs. So go to OIS.net. Sign up for OIS at ASCRS. 
and we will see you in San Diego.